Good morning, church family. It is good to see you. I'm glad that we can be here together to worship God today. It is the best way that you can start your week, and I'm so thankful for all the grands, grandparents, grandkids. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for being a part of this opportunity. We celebrate you, but the reason we're here is to worship God. And I thank you for Carter and everyone else who's led us in prayers and our thoughts for communion, and certainly each of you for participating in this worship. It has been good already, and I hope that it will continue to be so. Most importantly, pleasing to God. A couple of things before we get into our sermon. Uh, I want to make sure that I don't give our uh, ministry leaders and deacons too much worry. Uh, the ministry fair is not next week. It's two weeks from now. Uh, I didn't make that clear to Glenn when I asked him to correct my mistake in the bulletin. So on uh, the, the 24th is when the ministry fair will be. We do hope that you'll come and be a part of that and uh, learn what all is going on here at Jefferson Avenue and sign up to uh, help in many different ways. Also, since the grandparents are here, I want to let everybody know about something uh, I'd like for us to do if possible. This will be something you'd kind of take home and homework and bring it back. I've got a sheet that's in the foyer back here in the back. Uh, there's a number of sheets. It's uh, basically just wisdom for, wisdom for a recent graduate, wisdom for people who are getting married, wisdom for uh, people who have just become Christians, wisdom for people who are about to have uh, children. So you don't have to be a grandparent to fill this out. If you've experienced any of these things, I'd like for you to, to write. There's not a whole lot of space, so I'm not looking for a book. Uh, just a short little uh, bit of information or advice that you would give to someone maybe who's uh, about to get married or has just been married uh, for a new Christian and that sort of thing. I'd like to gather the wisdom that we have collectively here at Jefferson Avenue uh, and eventually perhaps uh, put it into little books. And then when we have someone who becomes a Christian, hey, here's a book from your brothers and sisters on some wisdom that they would like to give you as a new Christian or newly ma- newly, newlyweds or people who are about to have kids and that sort of thing. So if you can grab those uh, this afternoon and bring those back over the next several weeks, uh, we'll collect that information and certainly be glad uh, to have it. Uh, this year, if you're visiting with us, our theme has been we're trying to get better. Uh, and what we mean by that is we're seeking something greater than what the world has to offer. So when we have so many families who are gathered here and we as a, a family uh, of God, we want to think about how today can we make better families. How can we have better families? I hope your family is great. I hope it is just the, the ideal family, uh, but I know it's not, right? I know all families have issues. All families have difficulties. All families have, have stuff that they deal with, but we want to have better families. We want to have families that are greater than what the world has to offer. We want to have those Christian homes that we sang about earlier. So this morning, I want us to think about two things that will make our families better. And we'll get to those here in just a second. But let me tell you first, two things that we know don't make families better. We don't need to shape our families according to cultural expectations, right? Uh, the reason for that is, well, we could look at our cultural expectations right now. What is, what is a, an ideal family in today's culture? And we would say, well, that's pretty messed up. I don't want to be a part of that at all. But just in general, we could say we don't want to shape and form our families or really any part of our life around cultural expectations because they change too much, right? It won't be very long, you know, a couple of years from now, and there'll be something else that comes up in culture that is the, the end thing to do, the right way to do it. Uh, and then a couple of years after that, that way will be wrong, and there'll be something that's totally different that is the end thing to do or the right way to do it. So we don't want to, we don't want to shape our families or our lives around cultural expectations for many reasons, not the least of which is they just change too often and there's a lack of stability there. So we don't want to do it that way. And certainly we as Christians, we don't want to have or seek to have or try to have better families based on anything that's contrary or at odds with God's word. God has told us, and, and we'll, we'll emphasize here in a minute what the Bible says about the importance and the, the imagery that it uses about the importance of, of families. God has given us a, a model. He's shown us what a family should be like. So certainly we as Christians don't want to have a, a home 
that is anything at odds with the family of God. So what are two things? And these, this is not, it's only two, so it's not an exhaustive list. Uh, and, and they're more kind of principles, really, than they are specifics. But two things that we can do to help us have better families. First of all, let me suggest to you, no matter what role you play in the family, if you're a child, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt or an uncle or whatever role you may play in your family, let me suggest to you, let me encourage you, don't miss what's right in front of you. Don't miss what's right in front of you. Again, the Bible uses the family over and over and over again and emphasizes over and over and over again the importance of family. Let's consider just a few of these this morning. I'll have you turn to a a few passages here in just a moment. Uh, One of the big ones, of course, that the Bible uses to talk about the importance of families and, and really our relationship with God is marriage, right? You know, in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, it talks about that relationship between a husband and his wife. And he, he makes this, this beautiful picture of, of what an ideal marriage would be like. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hus- or wives, submit to your husbands like the church should submit to Christ. And this beautiful image of what an ideal, perfect marriage might be like. But But why does, why does he use that? And why is it so important? Because just a few verses later, he says, Hey, Paul says, Hey, I'm not really talking about marriage. I'm not really talking about your husband or your wife. I'm not, I'm not really talking about your marriage. I'm talking about the relationship between Christ and his church. This is that beautiful relationship that Christ gave up everything to come to this earth to save you and to present you pure and blameless like a bride on her wedding day to himself. So we use this imagery of family and this this most basic relationship within a family of a husband and a wife to talk about the beauty of what uh, the church is supposed to be about, the beauty of what uh, Christianity is supposed to be about. Of course, the Bible talks about the importance of children. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 518. Psalm 127, page 518. Notice what it says about children. Now, all of us are children in some form or fashion, but certainly we would think right now about our youngest children, maybe our college students and high schoolers and middle schoolers and elementary school kids and and even our preschoolers. But notice what it says in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Remember this, parents. Behold, children are an inheritance or they're a blessing of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. How blessed, how great is it? For the man whose quiver is full of them. We think about the importance of families. We think about having better families. Hey, I I know, and we've talked about this recently at other times in other classes. I know I've got a a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. I know the days are long. Uh, But we've we've mentioned this before too, I think. Or maybe it may have been somewhere else. But for those of you whose, whose kids are grown up and out of the house... I know, I know the days were long, but the years were short. And, and parents who are in the thick of it, like we are at our house, of, of raising up these kids and, and the, the, the stress and the difficulty and the pleasure and all that kind of stuff. Uh, for those of you whose kids are grown up, how, what would you give to have just one more day with your littles? With your little kids? When they'd still run up to you and, and hug you when they saw you and when you got home from work? How much would you, would you give up to, to experience just, just one more instance of that kind of love and relationship from a, a little child? I know it's tough. I know it's difficult, to, difficult. I know it's stressful. I know there's all kinds of things that, that we're worried about as parents. But don't miss the blessing 
that, that kids are. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we see a, another example of the importance of families where it talks about uh, Timothy and his mother Lois and her mother Eunice. And we see this intergenerational faith and this, this passing down of faith from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Don't miss what's right in front of you. If you're blessed to have a faithful family, family for generations that's been faithful, don't miss that blessing. Hold on to that, grasp on to that, uh, take joy in that blessing that God has given to you. And the Bible even talks about in-laws. Do you know that? The Bible even talks about in-laws and encourages good relationships with your in-laws. Turn over to Ruth uh, chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, a very familiar passage to many of us. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Here's what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to forsake you and turning back from following you. And we know these words, don't we? What kind of relationship must have Naomi and Ruth had for Ruth to express this to her mother-in-law? For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and more, if anything, but death separates me from you. The, the Bible is all about the importance and the, the beauty, not only this, this imagery of, of what the family is like and what that teaches us about God and what that teaches us about Jesus and what that teaches us about the spirit, but really just the, the beauty of family, the beauty of husband and wife and mom and dad and children and in-laws and aunts and uncles. God created family and God wants us to remember, don't miss the beauty of what family is. Along those ideas of uh, don't miss, the, the great theologian Tim McGraw, for those of you unfamiliar with country music, uh, Tim McGraw is not a great theologian, he is a country music singer, uh, but he says this, in a, a recent song I believe that he's recently released, he says it wants to live a life so that when I die, there's standing room only. In the song, he goes on and says things like this, that he's gotten mad about things that don't matter. Have you been there? He's chased the pot of gold and had nothing to show for it. He says, I want to live like the dollar and the clock on the wall don't own me. I want to live a life so that when I die, there's standing room only. We recognize the wisdom of that, right? He's not a theologian. I don't know his faith, but, but we recognize the wisdom of that. That's not the first time we've heard that kind of idea. Don't miss what's right in front of you. We've heard things like, you know, when you die, nobody says, man, I wish I'd spent a few more hours at the office, right? No, what, what do people say? I wish I'd spent more time with my family, the people that I love, the people that love me. Well, listen, this is your chance. You've got all the time you're ever going to have. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to have regrets at the end of your life because you missed out and you didn't take advantage of the opportunity to, to influence the people that are closest to you, your family and your friends and your loved ones and your church family? What are you spending your life doing? Are you, like Tim McGraw says, getting mad about things that don't matter? Anybody else been there or is it just me? Have you chased the, the, the pot of gold and had nothing to show for it? You know what I've found? Every time money gets to the bank, somehow it leaves. Have you ever found that? Maybe that's just my bank account. You know, we, we, this, this life doesn't have what we really need, certainly. And in reality, if we stopped and think about it, it doesn't have what we really want, right? We're seeking something greater than what the world has to offer. 
you know, the family is important and, and all those things that we just said are true. But let me suggest to you for our second point today that if we want to have better families, not only is it about all the things that we've just mentioned, but, but could we have something more perhaps by seeking something less or seeking perhaps less things? All the things that we just talked about are, are true, about not, not missing our, our family and our friends and, and our, our, making sure we invest in our spouses and in our children and our parents and our grandparents and, and everybody. All of those things are true, but, but is there something more? Because again, Tim McGraw came up with that, right? And we looked at the scriptures, but, but Tim McGraw recognized the wisdom of that too. Is there something greater in our families than what the world has to offer? Is there something more? Is there something greater? Again, all the thing, those things are true, but is there something better? A few verses mentioned to us that there probably is something better. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24, uh, very likely in reference to Jesus, it talks about simply there, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And maybe you've had people like that in your life, perhaps, but, but certainly we think about uh, religiously, we think about our relationship with Jesus. There is this uh, uh, relationship that can go beyond, beyond even blood. Notice what Jesus says, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we'll read verses 25 through 27. Jesus here very bluntly uh, says something to us that may be a little difficult for us to hear. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 874. Luke 14, uh, page 874, verses 25 through 27. Here Jesus is having some crowds follow along with him and notice the interaction. Now many crowds were going along with Jesus and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we're talking about having better families, and Jesus is talking about hating our families. What, what, what's going on here? Now, there, there's many, many points that we can make about this, and, and, and maybe even some specific things that we could uh, garner from this about our interactions with, with our loved ones. But Jesus is not teaching, of course, that we literally need to hate the people that are in our family. He says for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the great, second greatest commandment, right? And there's nobody who's a closer neighbor to you than the people that you're living in a house with. So, so certainly he's not suggesting to us that, that we, we hate literally anybody that's a part of our family. Uh, but the, the recognition here is, what is the something greater? What is, what is it that we can really do to make our families better? Place God, place Jesus Above all else, husbands, love Jesus more than you love your wife. Wives, love Jesus more than you love your husband. Moms and dads, love Jesus more than you love your children. Children, love Jesus more than you love your parents. And everybody else in whatever other relationship you have, love Jesus more than anyone else. And what will, that, what will happen then? Well, it will change your interactions with people, won't it? It will change the way that you treat people. You'll probably treat them better. It may also change the, the yes or the no when you're asked to do something. Sometimes you'll, you'll need to say yes more often, and, and sometimes you'll need to say no more often. But if we want to have better families, if we want to have those Christian homes that we just sang about, that doesn't happen by accident. Christian homes happen with stronger Christians. What is it to be a Christian a Christian simply means a follower of Jesus. So follow Jesus, love Jesus more than anyone else. And yes, sometimes that'll cause strain on your relationship, but ultimately that will bring, bring about better relationships within your family. I think that 
another group, another song that, I, that I've recently heard uh, expresses this thought very well, and I want to read it to you. It's, it's a, a song called Only Jesus uh, by a group called The Casting Crowns. Notice what it says, and it goes along with what we've talked about already today, even what uh, Tim McGraw said in his song. It says this, Make it count. Leave a mark. Build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams. Chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers. But all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the light when it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won, will crumble into dust when it's said and done. Cause all that really mattered, did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there was only one whose name will last forever? And here's the chorus. And I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. I've got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. Now, certainly it's a little ironic that on Legacy Sunday, we mention uh, quotes that say, I don't care about a legacy. I don't, I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. But I, but I think that's true, right? Uh, we, we know the importance of it because Scripture teaches us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter there teaching and having the opportunity to teach because of some good things he did. He tells those who are listening, there's salvation and no one else. Because there's only been one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus. Listen, the, the reality is I, I, I like to think that when, I'm, you know, when I've been gone for 20 years that there will be people who, who have fond memories of me. When I've been gone 50 years, there will be people who remember me. And you probably have similar thoughts, but, but the reality is it may be 20 years, maybe 50 years after you're gone. But, but most of us, there won't be a lot of people who remember us. But that, will they remember, if anything, about you? That Will they remember that you were all about Jesus, that you constantly, not only with your words, but with your actions, pointed people to Jesus. What a legacy to leave, right? Maybe you won't be able to leave a, a whole lot of money in the bank. Maybe you won't be able to leave a big, a big plot of land for them to have for generations. Maybe you won't be able to, uh, to have some sort of prize that they can look to and say, my great-great-grandfather won this or accomplished that. But what if generations from now, your family, your descendants were still Christians because you're a Christian, because you follow Jesus, because you tell people about Jesus. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. Let's read verses 8 through 11 again that was read to us earlier. Revelation 4 verses 8 through 11. That's on page 1030 in the Pew Bible. Revelation 4 verses 8 through 11. As Topher mentioned in his prayer, this uh, Revelation chapters 4 and 5 are this, this beautiful uh, picture of heaven, this, uh, this throne room scene in the, the throne room of God in, in heaven. And we have these, it says in verse number eight, and the four living creatures, and, and you can go back and read a few verses earlier to get, to get a description of them, but if I were to just sum it up in a few words, these, these creatures that we, they are far beyond anything we have ever seen or imagined, these, these magnificent creatures, uh, it, it says that they, uh, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within are day and night. Do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty who was and is and is to come. 
And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, and, and likely these 24 elders representing the 12 tribes of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament, so representing all the collected knowledge and wisdom of God, these 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you. O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So again, the, the picture is that there's these, these people, these beings, these, this representation at the very least of this, this, this power and this authority, and what do they do? They say, I, I don't need this, I need Jesus. I don't need this, I need God. And they cast their crowns. They say, I don't, I don't want to be a king. I don't care anything about that. I just want to follow Jesus. Dads, do your parents know, do your children know that you just want to follow Jesus? Moms, do your children know that you just want to follow Jesus? Grandparents, do your grandkids know? Not about all the other opinions you might have on any topic, but do they know you just want to follow Jesus? Kids, have you shown your parents and your grandparents that, that maybe even in your, at your young age, what are you all about? Following Jesus. How are we going to have better families? What makes a family better? Who, who gives anybody the right to tell you what a, a better family is? I don't. Culture doesn't. It changes too much. But how can we have better families? How can you leave here today and begin the process of having a better family? Don't miss what's right in front of you, especially for those of us who are in the, in the workforce and, and maybe even climbing, climbing the ranks. I, one thing I've re- heard, heard recently is this idea that um, the pursuit of what's next always comes at the cost of what is. The pursuit of what's next always comes at the cost of what is. Don't miss what's right in front of you. And secondly, Make sure everybody knows that you're all about Jesus and following him to the best of your ability. You won't do it perfectly. Nobody does. That's why he died, because he knows you wouldn't do it perfectly. This morning, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Uh, It it matters what other people think. It matters what your kids think, what your spouse thinks, what your grandkids think. It, It matters. But you know how your relationship with God really is. How is your relationship with God this morning? Are you following Jesus faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully? When you mess up, you stand up and you try again, you repent of your sins and you start doing, you start following Jesus again. How are you doing with that? If if you're a Christian this morning and you're not following Jesus the way you ought to, then make a change. Do what you need to do. And this morning, if you are a Christian, remember what scripture said, Acts chapter four and verse 12, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Do you believe that he's the resurrected son of God? Will you name him as the Lord of your life, meaning you're going to try your best to follow him and everything he wants you to do at the cost of what you want to do? And have you been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? If you want to do that, or if you want to study more about that, or if that piques your interest in any way, I'd love to study with you. Here in just a second, Carter's going to come and lead us in a song. We're going to stand up again, standing a lot today. Uh, We're standing this time just to simply make it easier that if you're interested in letting me know, letting this congregation know, letting our shepherds know that you need something, you can come forward and let us know those things. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward, that's fine. But if you've got something in your life that isn't right with God, don't leave this room until it's right with God. 
Talk to your family members. Find somebody here. Find me and, and talk to me and I'll, I'll point you to Scripture and we'll see what God wants us to do. If you need anything this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.